I hope. Um, Today's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 45. So that's Mark 1, beginning at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Morning, everyone. I don't normally talk about why we can trust the Bible. I just assume that when I'm talking. But today's reading has a few things in it that tend, uh, you tend to get in eyewitness accounts. So I wanted to point those out to you so that you can have confidence that what you're reading is an eyewitness account. It's something that was experienced by a person who was there. And most people think Mark got his information straight from the Apostle Peter. So here we go, four things. First of all, the way it describes who was there. A while back, Claire, Joshua, and I went on holiday with uh, friends called Chris and Abby. And if I was talking to you about that holiday, I would say, we went on holiday with Chris and Abby. And uh, I'd mention their names to be clear about who we went on holiday with. Even if I'd been talking to you about Chris and Abby and then said we went on holiday with them, I'd still say, and then we went on holiday with Chris and Abby or with them. That's just a normal way of talking. And in our reading today, it looks like Peter was talking to Mark and he says, um, as soon as we left the synagogue, we went with James and John and uh, we came to our house. Just to clarify that James and John were there as well. And so if you've got a Bible open, look at verse 29. Mark wrote down, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon being another name for the Apostle Peter, of course. Now that wouldn't really stand out, except 
that Mark has already used the word they to mean Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, and John in verse 21. Look at verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum. Who's they? Well, if you were to look at the bit before, it's Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. So if you take out the word they in verse 29, I'll read it to you, just removing the word they. It reads like this. As soon as Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, and John left the synagogue, Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, and John went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. So it begins to sound a bit like a child's tongue twister, doesn't it? Like a nursery rhyme. But can you see, it's not necessary for him to mention that James and John went to the house because they're already included in the word they. But it's not surprising if Mark is writing down things as Peter describes it because it's a very normal thing to say, we went with James and John to our house. So you can see, little mark of an eyewitness account there. Number two, the assumptions it makes. Look at verse 32. It says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. Now, you might not have thought about the words after sunset as I read it, but why would Mark say, that evening after sunset. Why didn't he just say that evening or later or something like that? Well, it's because let's say Mark and Peter, let's assume it was Peter, are making some assumptions. They're assuming you've been following this story carefully and you know that it's the Sabbath day when all this takes place. And they assume you know that the Sabbath day ends at sunset. And they assume you know that you weren't allowed to carry sick people on the Sabbath day. So it assumes you know that now the sun has set, the Sabbath is over, and people are free to bring their sick people to Jesus. That's quite significant to the story. It's a bit like saying, the Sabbath is over, the formal worship of God has finished, now the real work of God can begin as Jesus heals all these sick people. That's quite scathing of the religious people of the time, isn't it? If they were going to allow God to work in power, God had to do it on their terms. They decided lots of little rules that God hadn't commanded about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And God had better fall into line and obey those rules if he's going to to act in power. Now, there's a bit of a challenge to us there, of course. We like things done in a certain way. Are we happy to accept that God might be at work outside of our comfort zone? Are we willing to be part of that, or will we metaphorically go home from the synagogue at the end of the Sabbath day and miss what Jesus is doing in Simon and Andrew's house? So Mark fails to describe or explain a pretty significant detail in the story, and even though there's some evidence that he's writing for people who weren't Jewish, and the reason for that is probably because he's getting his information from Peter, And as Peter's chatting away, the detail that it's after sunset is so obvious to them what that means that they don't feel any need to explain it. This is quite typical of eyewitness accounts, the assumptions you make. The third thing, embarrassing things for the eyewitnesses. I was going to tell you a little embarrassing anecdote about myself, but I've actually crossed it out because... I'm not even going to tell you something embarrassing about me that's true, let alone something that I've made up. Why would I make up something about myself that embarrasses me? 
It would be very unlikely for Mark, or, or Peter, let's say, um, or any of the apostles, to make up things that are embarrassing to them and then have it written down for millions and millions of people to read. And the Gospels are riddled with stories that make the apostles look foolish. The example in our reading isn't that clear, but it is one. If you look at verses 36 and 37, it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him, that is Jesus, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, in isolation, I know that's not clear that it's embarrassing, but the fact that they went searching for Jesus and then said to him, Jesus, you're drawing a huge crowd. They all want to see you shows that they didn't really understand who Jesus was and what he was doing. Now, when I've finished this part of the talk, I'm going to go through these four things, uh, four characteristics of an eyewitness account, and then I'll give you a little thought from the reading as a whole. But when we get to that thought, I'll be talking about the king's uh, king's priority. In other words, what was Jesus doing? If the disciples didn't get what Jesus was doing, what was he doing? And this is where Jesus says what his priority is. Verse 38. Jesus replied to his disciples who had gone out looking for him and made themselves look like idiots. Let us go somewhere else. In other words, I'm going to run away from this crowd. I don't, don't, you know, not interested in drawing a crowd. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he came to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God. More about that in a minute. The fourth characteristic of an eyewitness account is uh, surprises. Every good story has a twist. But some of the things that Mark records about Jesus' life don't seem like clever twists. They're just really odd. And they come with no explanation. And they don't resolve as the story develops. And they've confused people for 2,000 years, in fact. And strangely, that is the mark, one of the marks of an authentic eyewitness account. So here are two little surprises in our story. Number one, Jesus is spreading a message but doesn't want it spreading. Verse 34, Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, I talked about demons in my Sunday at 6 talk called Demons in the Spirit World, which is available on YouTube, so I won't talk about that now. But Jesus told the demons to shut up, even though what they were saying was true. Similarly, in verse 43, healing of the leper, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone. Well, Jesus, why did you heal him if you don't want him to tell anyone? I think he's going to tell some people. Why does Jesus want all this kept a secret? Now, there are answers to why Jesus wants this all to be a secret. Maybe he doesn't want to be mobbed by a crowd who just want healing at the expense of Jesus' actual mission. Maybe Jesus doesn't want the people to come and make him king by force, as nearly happened once. And maybe Jesus doesn't want to get killed before the right time comes when he'll be crucified. But none of that is explained by Mark. It's taken, really, 2,000 years of Christians pondering these, these sort of mysteries, thinking, why would Jesus want to keep this a secret for them to come up with these three reasons? It's characteristic of an eyewitness account to have unexplained surprises. 
That's the first one. The second one is that Jesus heals out of love sometimes. Verse 41. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now some of you will have a footnote in your Bibles next to the word indignant. If you look down at the bottom, it says, many manuscripts say Jesus was filled with compassion, which would make more sense, wouldn't it? But there's good manuscript support for the word indignant. And you can see how someone might think, indignant, that's not right. I better change that. It probably meant to say compassion. And then that manuscript got copied. And so people are like, yeah, should say compassion. That's right. It shouldn't say indignant. But it seems to say indignant from a lot of manuscripts we've got. And the Greek word for indignant carries the idea of snorting. It's what a horse does, like that kind of thing. So Jesus literally snorted at the man. But then Jesus also heals the man. So clearly he was willing to heal him. Now that's confusing. And we have to say, maybe Jesus was indignant that nobody else could help this man who was an outcast to society. Maybe that's why he was cross. Maybe Jesus was indignant at the evil in the world that causes such suffering. And I'm sure both of those things are true. But Mark doesn't say either of them. And surprises and puzzles like that point to the authenticity of what's written here. This isn't a carefully crafted work of fiction. If it was, the writer would try to resolve some of these paradoxes in a clever way. But this is genuine. This is what happened. This is someone seeing it and say, Jesus was indignant. Beats me. But that's what happened. So, I believe that what we have here is an eyewitness account of things that happened 2,000 years ago. And those things that happened were strange things. There's no doubt about that. Also, to put your minds at ease, I also believe it's more than an eyewitness account. I do believe the Bible is the word of God. It's what God wants us to hear today. And God inspired these exact words. So it's more than an eyewitness account. But it's certainly not less than an eyewitness account. And so when you know that what you're holding is an eyewitness account, you can then concentrate on the question, what should I make of what's going on here? These are strange things happening. And so let me close with a thought from our reading to guide you as you answer that question. This is where we get to the king's priority. This is the title of the sermon, as you'll have seen in the notices today. And I know I haven't got very long. (laughs) So in our reading, Jesus said that his priority was to preach. And yet he spends most of our reading not preaching. You remember he was mainly healing people and casting out demons. Well, here's a little overview of what happened so that you can remember. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. That draws a crowd, and so he heals people in the crowd. Then there's a little interlude where Jesus goes off to pray, and he says, I came to preach, and then he goes traveling. And then we're back sort of in another cycle. He heals a man with leprosy, and he draws a crowd. And we're not told that he heals the crowd this time, but I'm sure that was probably true. Now, I want to say that healing and casting out the demons were side effects of the thing that he was preaching about. And the thing that he was preaching about was the arrival of the kingdom of God. We get that from chapter 1. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Does that ring a bell? It's a memory verse, of course. Now, we know what side effects are. You get your medicine and you read the small print, and it tells you a whole list of side effects that you'll get if you take this medicine. And obviously, 
They're usually bad, but sometimes they're good. You know, you do get medicines that give you thicker hair and stuff. The weirdest positive side effect I found was a medicine for Parkinson's disease, which apparently makes people more creative. And so people with not a creative streak in them start taking this medicine and start writing literally, literally, can't get my words out, acclaimed, let's just say, acclaimed poetry. And um, they start painting wonderful works of art. So, great. Well, I don't know anything about that. I don't know if that's true. I think it is true. It's in the BMJ and other reputable sources. But when Jesus healed people or cast out demons, that wasn't his primary mission, and it wasn't even his priority. It was just side effects, pretty good ones. Side effects of what was happening as God's kingdom arrived. So, because our reading has very little about what Jesus said, and much more about these side effects, what Jesus did, I want us to look at the side effects and think, wow, if that's what the side effects are, it must be great to be part of God's kingdom. The main effect of this medicine must be amazing. So here goes. I've got three side effects to start off with. The first is a side effect of the kingdom of God is complete healing. Verse 31, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, it says, the fever left her and she began to wait on them. So no recovery period, no long COVID. She was just 100% healed there and then. Verse 30, uh, 42, sorry. When Jesus healed the leper, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Not a trace. It was gone. Everyone Jesus healed was 100% better afterwards. And it wasn't even Jesus' priority to heal people, but he was pretty good at it. Today, we can pray for healing from sickness, and maybe God will answer those prayers. But the healings of Jesus' day were side effects of something much better that we can all look forward to. That's the completion of the kingdom of God. When this world will come to an end, everyone who has ever lived will stand before God, and those who have trusted in Christ will enter his eternal kingdom with new bodies which will never die or even get ill. The Apostle Paul used the metaphor of a flower being sown to describe what God's people will be like. He's, he says, you sow the seed, and that's like what we are now. And then the flower that grows up is what we'll be like then. So this is in 1 Corinthians. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. So Jesus' life 2,000 years ago triggered the side effect of complete healing for many people. But if we trust in him today, we can look forward to an even greater transformation and healing in the future. Complete healing. Secondly, spiritual freedom, another side effect. Verse 34, Jesus drove out many demons. Verse 39, he was driving out demons. And people sometimes use the word demons metaphorically, don't they, to talk about their bad habits. And what they mean is they struggle to break free from those things, and the bad habit or the character flaw has a, a real grip on them. One of the books on my bookshelf is called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. It's a banquet because the addiction gives you something you like and you want to hang on to it. But it's in the grave because it doesn't lead anywhere good. 
we all struggle with. Evil thoughts, pop-up thoughts, emotions, fantasies, envy, all sorts of other negative things. And those things control some people more than others. When Jesus drove out demons, he was dealing with a real spiritual phenomenon, but that was a side effect of his main mission, which was to set people free completely, spiritually. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Again, not entirely free here and now, but to a certain extent now, and 100% in the life to come. Here's our third side effect. I put it up there as inclusion and belonging. I could have called it removal of stigma and exclusion because we have this man with leprosy in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this guy obviously wanted to be healed, but he wanted more than that. He wanted to be clean. Clean being a technical word, being something like acceptable. If you're willing, you can make me acceptable, healed and acceptable. Skin diseases at the time came with a stigma. You had to cover your lips and shout, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would come anywhere near you. You had to live outside the towns and cities. You had to wear torn clothes and keep their hair messy so that people would think, oh, staying away from that person. Think how ashamed you would feel. It's bad enough, you know, when COVID was around and I went into A&E with Claire and Joshua and we all had COVID and we were told to go to A&E. And the uh, A&E receptionist asked us in front of a crowded waiting room, so do you have COVID? And we were like, yeah, and this is where we've been told to come. And I know there's like 100 people behind me and I'm just admitting that I've got COVID. That was embarrassing. I'm embarrassed telling you about it now. And COVID has nothing of the stigma of skin diseases 2,000 years ago, nothing. And yet Jesus came up to this guy, reached out his hand and touched the man and says, I'm willing, be clean. And let's remember that this wasn't even the reason Jesus came. This was just a side effect of his greater mission. But he removed the stigma. Loneliness and exclusion are devastating for any person. But Jesus came to unite all of those who trust in him with with himself and with one another. So let me give you another quote from Paul. This is how he describes the Christian church. Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, no exclusion over ethnicity, neither slave nor free, no exclusion over class, nor is there male or female, no exclusion over gender. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That's great, isn't it? Three good side effects of the kingdom of God. And if those are good, how much better is the actual kingdom when it comes to completion? Now, let me just finish with two quick thoughts. I know I'm running out of time. These side effects show that, first of all, anyone can be part of the kingdom of God, but you do need to respond, secondly. You won't get the side effects or even the, all the main effects of the medicine unless you take the medicine. So listen to everyone who benefited from the side effects, according to Mark. Verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. Verse 37, people came to Jesus and said, everyone is looking for you. And verse 45, people still came to him from everywhere. 
Now, not literally everyone in the world from every part of the world, but the point Mark is making is that Jesus didn't come for a select few. He came for everyone who would come to him. So, again, metaphorically, don't be the one person who stayed at home and missed everything Jesus was doing whilst everyone else went out to see him. You're here in church this morning, so that's a good start. But we all need to look for Jesus ourselves. We all need to get out of our homes and go out and look for him where he is. And then be ready to respond. So let's take the leper as our example here. He only says a few words, but it's a pretty clear message of what we need to do. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So as we finish, firstly, he was honest about his need, wasn't he? He he came and begged to Jesus. He didn't come with his head held high. He didn't pretend nothing was wrong. He had a problem and he knew it. He was honest. Secondly, he was open to being healed. He begged Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, Sometimes we might come to Jesus and say, like, I'm interested, Jesus, in what you taught 2,000 years ago. I've heard a lot about you, and I've come to church a few times. Um, And I do a few things that are wrong, but I quite enjoy them, so I won't sort of be too vocal about those. That's a bit different, isn't it, to coming to Jesus and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So are you willing to be changed and to change? And thirdly, the leper had faith in Jesus' power. He says, if you are willing, not if you are able, because he already knows Jesus is able. And we know that Jesus was willing because he healed him. So, positive, lots of positive side effects of the kingdom of God, all taking place around Jesus. None of what we've looked at today is really why Jesus came. It's just things that happened around him because he couldn't help healing people and he couldn't help driving out demons. He was such an amazing guy. But he came to bring us life that's so much richer and fuller than that. So let me finish with familiar words about the future God has in store for all those who trust in him from Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, any chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is a bit reminiscent of the time that Jesus was on earth, but so much better. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, oh, that's Jesus, by the way, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, some amazing things took place around you 2,000 years ago. Thank you that these were just side effects of something better still to come. So please may we trust in you, may we love you for all these stories we have of your healings and your compassion on people. May we take time to puzzle over the surprises in there as well. And please, Lord, may this really set the direction of our lives. May we live for you and live for the future you have prepared for us. Amen.